There we go. Uh, okay. First off, thank you. Thank you very much for hosting. And, of course, thank you, Mrs. Waldman, who always is involved in putting these things together. So a very big thank you to her, even though she couldn't make it today. Um, so we're going to talk today about the... Where's my sheet here? About the power of a woman's tefillah. This is one of my favorite topics, the power in general of tefillah. But especially, especially when it comes to women, it's, it's like the power is absolutely unbelievable. Whenever we talk about tefillah, so I'm reminded of a story... Um, there was, I heard this a bunch of years ago, it was one of these like old Jewish jokes, right? So there was this, uh, this guy, there was this rabbi, I'm sorry, rabbi passes away, and he goes up to heaven, and when he gets up there, so, he, so these angels, they come, and they're escorting him up, you know, further, further, finally get, they get to his spot, it's not the front spot, but it's like somewhere in the middle, and they stop and they say, this is, this is your spot, this is where you are, okay, fine, so he's happy, he's content. But then a few minutes later, there's this other guy who comes and there's this whole procession and there's like bells and whistles and everything going off and music and dancing and people, angels are escorting him and this guy and they're taking him and it gets closer to the rabbi spot and then they keep on going further and further and further. It's like further spot. And he sees that this guy, he starts getting very jealous because this guy is a, he's a bus driver. He's an Israeli bus driver and he, finally they get to the front and they stop, and they give him this very special seat, like all the way up front. And he's so mad, the rabbi. He's like really mad. He says, well, listen, I'm a rabbi. I spent my whole life with the congregation, speaking to them about being better Jews, about davening more, you know, having more kavana in their tefillah, etc. And I get a spot over here. And this guy... He's, he's, an Israeli, he's a bus driver. He's an Egged bus driver. And he goes all the way up to the front? Well, I don't understand what's going on. So they said to him, they said, listen. They said, every single time you got up to speak, you were, talk, you were trying to inspire people to dive in better, etc. And everybody just slept through your drasha. But this guy, every single time he took the wheel, everybody was davening. <laughs> everybody was davening. So, you know, the koha, when it comes to tefillah, it's absolutely... You know, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable the power that it has as far as ourselves, what we accomplish when we daven, and, you know, the effect that it has on others. I was honestly inspired a number of years ago, and I want to share this with you, and then we'll start the actual share. I was inspired a number of years ago by a letter that I saw in Queens, your old stomping grounds, in Kesser Torah. Remember Kesser Torah? Still exists? think so. <laughs> that little trailer over there, yeah. right? So the Minion Factory in Queens. I went in for a minute, a random, random day, whatever it was, and I, I come in there, and in the middle of davening, there were these sheets on the table. I want to read to you what this says. This is, this is unbelievable. This was a letter, and it was exactly like this. I just had photocopied it. A letter from, an, from a soldier in Gaza, and there was fighting going on in Gaza at the time, as there always is, unfortunately, and it, this is a letter that he wrote. Listen to this. He writes, today, our hearts are pounding in fear. Who of us will die and who will return safely? We are your messengers in fighting. We are fighting so you can live peacefully with your children, so you can stay alive. We are your protection. Will you be ours? We are going to this dangerous mission, knowing some of us will not come back, but will rise to their next position in a storm to heaven as Elio Anavi did. We are going with devotion and dedication. So we are asking you to be our protection with your prayers. 
Protect us by going above and beyond yourselves through ruchnius and good deeds. Pray for us. Pray that you won't see another mother burying her son. Pray that you won't see our wives as widows raise our children in tears. Pray that our children will grow up knowing who their fathers are. Pray that we will eliminate the terrorists who aim to destroy us and that we will not injure innocent women and children. Please, we are begging you, as you are reading this, don't just go on to the next thing you are doing. This is the part that, like, it, it really struck me. He said, say a chapter of Tehillim. Wake up David Amalek to ask Hashem for a full gul and peace for all the world. Take upon yourselves another good deed and please pass this on. I'm certain that your prayer will make a difference. Remember, we are in it together. We are on the front lines carrying the weapons and you are fighting along with us in your prayers. Each word of your prayer gives us strength, protection, and success. Signed, a soldier in Gaza. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable letter. And so he wrote this letter with the intention to get this letter out there, um, you know, to get this letter out there to the public for everybody to be able, you know, for everybody to be able to daven for them, um, you know, while they're out there because he understood the power. He understood the power of tefillah. And as we said before, when it comes to a woman's tefillah, it's even more powerful. There's a Gemara, um, there's a Gemara Megillah that expounds on the story in Navi, which is at the end of Malachim Bays. Yes, at the end of Malachim Bays, there's a fascinating story that's spelled out in which the, this was in the time period before the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. Okay, before the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. So the king was Yoshiahu at the time. Now, Yoshiahu was a big tzaddik. Yoshiahu's father and grandfather were big Rishayim, right? Yoshiahu's father was Amon and Yoshiahu's grandfather was the infamous Menashe. Now they were, these two were basically the reason, I guess, in, in a big way for the ultimate destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. I mean, Menashe was such a Russia, we know, we know so much about it, that he brought, he, he brought idols into the Beis HaMikdash. He convinced everybody, he took away Hashem from everybody, he convinced everybody to serve idolatry. Terrible person. And his son, Amon, was the same thing. He continued on in the ways of his father. Now, when Amon passed away, Yoshia took over. I believe he was young, maybe like eight years old or something like that, became the king. But either way, he was a big tzaddik. It's if he started off as a tzaddik or he became it later. But either way, when he led Kal Yisrael, he was a big tzaddik and he wanted Kal Yisrael to come back. We actually talk about it in the Kinnos on Tishabov. There's a whole kinna just about Yoshiahu and about mourning his death because he, he was like the ultimate Kirov worker. He tried to get everybody to come back. He tried to rid it, Klai Yisrael of Avodah Zarah, teach them about Hashem. Amazing thing. So one of the things that he did was he said, listen, the Beis HaMikdash was in terrible shape, physically. Like the physical structure of the Beis HaMikdash, besides for spiritually, all the Avodah Zarah, but physically, it had taken a toll because Menashe and Ammon didn't care. And so for 200, I forget the exact number, but, but 200 something years, there hadn't been any repairs done on the base of Mikdash, and it was physically in bad shape. So he ordered the Kohen Gadol at the time, he, um, yeah, he ordered the Kohen Gadol to go and check out the whole base of Mikdash and go around with a notepad and literally write down every single thing that needs to be fixed up in the base of Mikdash as we're going to do this massive repair. So as he's going around and he's looking through every single nook and cranny of the Beis HaMikdash, he discovered something crazy. He discovered a Sefer Torah. And it wasn't just any Sefer Torah, but it was a Sefer Torah that was hidden and they, they realized that this was the Sefer Torah that was written by Moshe Rabbeinu way back when. And the Mefarshim say 
that this Sefer Torah, the reason why it was hidden, was because Menashe was so bad that Menashe was taking Sifrei Torah, he was erasing the name of Hashem. Can you imagine? He was erasing the name of Hashem from Sifrei Torah and putting in the names of idols into Sifrei Torah. So they wanted to protect the ultimate Sefer Torah, this really, really holy Sefer Torah that was written by Moshe Rabbeinu. So they hid it somewhere where Menashe isn't going to find it, somewhere deep in the base of Mikdash. And now it was discovered. And so first they're all excited because they find the Sefer Torah. But then they realized that this is terrible because when they opened up the Sefer Torah, they saw that the Sefer Torah wasn't open to where it's supposed to be at the beginning of Bereshis, but rather it was in the middle of Devarim where it talks about the curses to Klal Yisrael. And the first Pasuk, or the Pasuk they were able to notice, so they, that was the most visible, I don't know, whatever, was this Pasuk. It's not on your sheet, I'm sorry, but it was this Pasuk. Yolech Hashem Oscha that Hashem is going to drive you and the king that has been set over you to a nation that is unknown to you. And over there, you're going to serve other gods. Um, yeah, you're going to serve other gods. So this is a prediction, seemingly, to the fact that Akash Baruch Hu is going to drive us out. And the Kohen Gadol was so shaken up. He so said, look, it, you know, this is so weird. Sefer Torah is in this particular spot. It's not where it's supposed to be. It's on this Pasuk. What does this mean? So he sends it to Yoshiyahu to, to, to decide what's going on. And Yoshia says, we have to take this to a Navi. Only Hashem could tell us what this really means. And if this is really a Nevuah for now, or is this a, a Nevuah for a different time? So they take this Sefer Torah, and they take this story, what happened to Chuldah HaNeviyah. And Chulda Hanavia says, unfortunately, this is terrible news. This is talking about this generation. You're going to go into exile. HaKadosh Baruch is going to destroy the Beis HaMikdash, etc., etc. And we know what ultimately happened. That's the story. Now the Gemara in Mesechus Megillah, which you have in front of you on the sheet number one, gets into this, gets into this story and asks a very fascinating question. The Gemara says, Hello, what's going on? Chulda was a great woman. There's no question about it. She was a great woman. She was one of the Navios that we had. So to be a Navi, you have to reach very, very, very high levels. But the, greater than I'll ever be, that's for sure. But the bottom line is, there was a greater person in that generation, much greater, and that was Yirmiya. We know that Yirmiya was the Navi during the time period before the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, ultimately when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. Yirmiya was the one who was constantly, he was like... He was the go-between between Hashem and Kal Yisrael, constantly telling them to do tshuva. He was the Gadol Hadar. So, why, so, so the Gemara asks, how was uh, Chulda, how did Chulda have a right to prophesize in the presence of Yirmiya? If Yirmiya is there, you should go to Yirmiya. So the Gemara answers that question. The Gemara says, Amri be Rav Mishmeid Rav, Chulda Krovas Yirmiya Haisevel Hav Chulda had protectia. Chulda was a relative of Yirmiya. And Yirmiya said, you could, you could, I'll let you do it. I'll let you do it. It's okay. All right. Nice technical answer. But then the Gemara asked its main question. But Yoshia, from his perspective, why would he go to Chulda? And why would he not go to Yirmiya? Right? What do you, like, you're the king. You want to get the best possible answer. You want to know what Hashem's opinion is of all of this. And 
if this is a prophecy to the destruction of, the, of, of Kal Yisrael and that we're going to go into Galus, this is like a big deal. This is not a small deal. This is a really, really big deal. So you need to go to the biggest person who can answer the question, the Gaval Hadar, the greatest Navi in the generation. You go to Yirmiya. How did he have a right to skip Yirmiya and go to Chulda instead? And the Gemara answers with four very important words. Amri Dubey Rabbi Shila. Rabbi Shila says, Mibnei Shahanashim Rachmani Because women have Rachmanus. Because women have compassion, women have mercy. And that's the end of the Gemara. And the Marsha explains this Gemara and he says, what does that mean? Women have mercy, so therefore what? So therefore Chulda's going to, because she's merciful, she's going like, to make up a story? She's going to make up a prophecy? What's going on? He says, no, of course not. Of course she's going to tell the truth. And whatever the prophecy is, it is. But if it's bad news for Kal Yisrael, then immediately Chulda's going to daven. And what Yoshia had in mind was that since she has more compassion because she, because it's a woman, and a woman has more compassion. So when she davens, it's going to be a more heartfelt fila. And in turn, there's more of a chance for saving Kal Yisrael. So it's better to go to Chulda than to go to Yirmiya because her tefillah is going to be a stronger fila because she has more Achmanas, because women have more Achmanas, and therefore, and therefore there's a better odds of Kal Yisrael being saved. If you think about this, it's unbelievable. My Roshiva of Hanach Libowitz pointed out, he said, you know, what does this mean? That means that women, I think what the Gemara is saying is, what, the way he understood it, that women have it built into the Teva. It's hardwired. It's built in. HaKadosh Baruch Hu made it that part and parcel of the makeup of a woman is to have this Rachmanas, to have this natural feeling of compassion. And therefore, when it comes to something like tefillah, so in turn, the, the probability is that a woman's tefillah is going to be stronger because it has the ability to come with it, this natural compassion to be coming from a deeper, um, more powerful place. And if it's coming from a more powerful place, it's going to be a more powerful tefillah by definition. The more rachmanas that goes into the tefillah, the more Achmanas that goes into it, the more Kavana that's going to exist. The more Kavana that's going to exist, the more powerful the tefillah is. Why? Because women have Rachmanas. Now, it doesn't mean that men don't have Rachmanas, right? Although, all right, I won't get into that. <laughs> okay, but, right? It doesn't mean that men don't have Rachmanas, but it just means that women have it more. I think what this is saying, I think, I think, tell me what you think, I, 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 but I think the idea is that like, Whenever it comes to any mida, right? We all pretty much have all midos, good midos and bad midos within, like all of them that are like in the book, right? You read through Rabbi Yachnes, Zorcha, Sadiqim, right? Whatever, whatever midos are in the book, we all have all of them, but we all have different degrees. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us different doses to every single individual of, you know, some people are more prone to anger, some people are more prone to simcha, some people, etc., etc. And everybody has their, you know, their mission in life is to work with the midos that they have and to try to build up the good ones and try to work on the bad ones, etc., I think the idea is that, that Hashem gave, the, the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu hardwired the woman is with more doses of Rachmanas. I think that's what's going on over here. And therefore, it makes the tefillah potentially more powerful. I saw this letter um, one time, and uh, I thought this was very powerful. That just really brings out this, this point. This is written... 
from, it doesn't say who, it was written anonymously, from somebody who wrote a letter to a rabbi. Listen to this. Dear Rabbi, I am one of those unfortunate souls who never had a nurturing mother. I often stroll in the park just to watch a mother adoringly walk her young child, holding her hand with endless love and care. Oh, how I long so for such love, for the love that only a mother can give. I know, I know, and have been told countless times to grow up and begin to accept that life is not fair. Learn to love yourself, I have been told. I've heard it all. God knows the hours I've spent with therapists, gurus, soothsayers, and healers, some better than others. But I still seek that motherly love. Call me a coward. Call me immature. I want to be adored. Is it too much to ask for? Please tell me something, anything, that could soothe my weary soul. Tired and forlorn, forlorn, and she signs it, B. That's it. The, the nurturing of a mother, the Rachmanas of a mother, it's, it's built in, it's natural, it's there, it's, 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 you know, the giving over to a child, the feeling, that compassion, and this person, so many years later, as an adult, felt, and we know this to be true, okay, we know so many people seek therapy uh, later on in life and need therapy tremendously because they didn't get that, they didn't get that nurture when they were young. Where does that come from? That comes from the Rachmanas, that comes from the passion of a mother. And again, this plays out in a big way when it comes to tefillah. I saw quoted in the name of Rav Zalman Saratskin. I think this is said over, I think I saw this in the, in the Art Scroll Women's Sitter. They have it like in the front of one of the footnotes, whatever it is. But he said, the quote said, that when Chazal say that women were given, were given a Bina Yisera, right? That Bina Yisera, that, that higher level of understanding, he said that that means, that's talking about a level of understanding that comes from the heart. That's what it means. It means an emotional Understanding and a, a a certain um, natural rachmanus that's there that's able to that that comes from a deeper a deeper heart a deeper emotion, and in turn again it turn out, it plays out in such a major way when it comes to tefillah tefillah is the Gemara tells us is avodah avodah right so the more powerful the tefillah is the more it comes from the heart the better off that tefillah is going to be but it goes a step further. It goes a step further. If you think about this story, you know, okay, so women have more Rahmanas. Okay, okay, I get it. And it's hardwired, etc. But in this story, we're talking about Yirmiya. We're talking about Chulda on the one hand or Yirmiya on the other hand. Yirmiya, yes, Yirmiya was a guy, so it's not hardwired, let's say, or it's not hardwired to the same degree the Rahmanas. But Yirmiya was a Navi. To be a Navi, you have to reach the highest of levels in your Bein Adam Lamakum and in your Bein Adam L'chavero. A Navi is an individual that worked on themselves their entire life, worked on their Midos, grew in their Midos, became, became better people over time. His passion, his compassion was, was unbelievable. And we know Yirmiya wrote Eicha. Yirmiya wrote, he was the author of Eicha. You read through Eicha with the Mepharshim, you see how much compassion... How much compassion was there? He was begging Kal Yisrael to do tshuva. Begging them, begging them, begging them to come back. So Yirmiya had plenty of compassion. He had plenty of mercy. And he was the Gadol Hadar, as we said before. And he was greater in Torah than Chulda. So doesn't it make sense to have gone to Yirmiya? And the answer is that, again, my Rosh Shiva pointed out that yeah, Yirmiya would have had plenty of kavana, plenty of compassion, plenty of mercy. It would have been like up here, tremendous. 
But Chuldas, because it was built in, because it was hardwired, it would have been a little bit better. She had a little bit more Rachmanus, a little bit more compassion. And that drop of extra, of extra Rachmanus that she would have would translate into a higher level of Kavana and a drop better of Kavana. And in turn, it's going to be a little bit better Tefillah. And Yosh, King Yoshia felt that it's worth it to give up on whatever Zechusim are going to come by going to Yirmiya because of he's the God of Hadar and whatever. But it's better to go to the person who will have a drop better Kavana. Because one drop of more Kavana could spell the difference between Kal Yisrael going into Galas, between, between the Beis HaMikdash being destroyed and not. It's an unbelievable thing. A drop of extra kavana, a drop more rachmanas, could literally spell that difference. So, so you see, number one, number one, the, the, the fact that women have rachmanas, it's built in, it's there, it's natural, and in turn, the power of the tefillah can be much stronger. And as well, you also see that the a little bit more kavana, a little bit more kavana and davening, that little extra rachmanas that goes in, can literally spell the difference between the, 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 the biggest calamity in, in the face of Jewish history ever happening or not. I mean, we know that it ultimately didn't work. Obviously, Chulda did daven and it didn't work. But in Yoshia's mind, Yoshia was a big tzaddik. In his mind, that could spell the difference. That could literally spell the difference. You know, I saw, I was told a beautiful story a number of years ago um, that uh, this happened in Europe and there was a mother, so she sent her son off to yeshiva. And we know back then, okay, we're talking about, you know, there was no, there's no communications, there's no phones, there's no emails, there's no anything. So when people sent their kids off to yeshiva, that was like a serious thing. They were gone. They were just, they were gone until they saw them again. Um, and this son, while he was in yeshiva, he got sick. Now, at first, it wasn't so bad, but it was serious, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't super serious. So the people in charge of the yeshiva, they were doing the best to take care of the son. But the mother was an almana, and she herself, I think, I think the way the story went, that she herself wasn't well. So the people in charge of the yeshiva, they were going back and forth what to do. Like they were taking care of the kid. But they, didn't, they were hesitant to tell the mother that her son is sick because there was nothing that she could do about it anyway because they were so far away and there's nothing she could do. What are they going to do? They couldn't send the kid home and the mother couldn't come and travel and she, wasn't, she herself wasn't well and she was not mother and they were nervous for her own sake, for her own health. If she heard that her son is not well, they were nervous. They didn't know what to do so they, they, they said it, they opted to not tell her. Well, the, whatever the kid had, he got then an infection and it got much worse very rapidly. And before you knew it, this student, this boy passed away. And now obviously they sent a messenger to go tell the mother, terrible situation, very sad. And when the mother came and they were talking to the mother and they were telling her and they were apologizing, etc. And the whole thing, and she said, listen, I totally get it. And I understand what your thoughts were in not telling me. And I'm not upset at you. It makes sense. Your thought process makes sense that you didn't want to harm me. You knew that, you know, I would go in a state of shock. That's what you thought, etc. It would be dangerous to me. I get it. I get it. I get it. But 
She said, you have to understand that we lost out on something so important. During that time period that I didn't know, we lost out on the mother's tefillah. We lost out on a mother's tefillah. You know, it's, uh, it's very real. It's a very real thing how a mother's tefillah can literally spell the difference. That, that added Rachmanus, Nashim Rachmanios Hain, that Rachmanus, that compassion, that care can go, can go a long way, can go a long way, can really spell the difference. You know, there was a, a friend of mine, a friend of mine, Rabbi Donnie Staum, he, uh, he published a sefer uh, called Striving Higher in Tefillah. And he told me a quote from the Sefer. I didn't see the Sefer actually inside, but he told me a quote from the Sefer that, um, that was said over by Rebetzin Rasi Busel Alea Shalom. She said that the sitter, this is a beautiful quote, she said, the sitter is like a Hallmark card. If you present it as is, it is beautiful and touching. But when you add your own thoughts and your own emotions, it becomes personal and that much more meaningful. When, when, when we tap into our natural to those natural feelings, to what's really going on, to that natural compassion. It raises the tefillah, it raises the level of kavana, and that added difference can really make a difference. And how powerful can this tefillah be? How powerful can that tefillah be that goes, that, that, you know, with that added drop of kavana? We go to the imahos, right? These parshias that we're in right now, you look at the imahos. The imahos really answer this question, right? We know that when Sarah was told, number two on the sheet, when Sarah was told that she's going to have a baby, what happened? I didn't put the Pasuk on the sheet, I apologize, but Sarah, she laughed, right? By Tzitzchak Sarah, right? She laughed. So what does that mean? All the Mepharshim jump on that. What does it mean that she laughed? So the Sforno says, and we'll read in English for the, for the sake of time, she, she said, it means like this, she assumed that the words of the angel were merely a blessing. She thought that the Malach was giving her a bracha, that she's going to have a child, not a prophecy, not a nevuah, but rather a bracha, as occurred with the prophet Elisha. Okay, so she believes, listen to this, it's unbelievable. She believed that when such a blessing is given to old people, people who would require a miracle for the blessing to become true, it would not be effective in her case. It wouldn't be effective, right? We know that we go to Gedolim for brachas, etc., right? Here she's getting a bracha even better than a gadol, right? She's getting a bracha from a malach. She thought it was a bracha. Again, she didn't know it was a nevuah, whatever that is, but she thought it was a bracha. In her mind, in her das Torah, Sarah felt that a bracha for such a thing cannot be effective. It's impossible. So old. My husband's so old. Impossible. It's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. She considered the kind of rejuvenation required for her to bear a child as equivalent to reviving the dead. She thought this is, she basically said this is similar to Tchias HaMesim. So, Tchias HaMesim, what, a bracha is going to help to bring back somebody from the dead? Impossible, right? Such an act, in her opinion, required God's personal attention, not merely that of a prophet. But here's the kicker, the last line, at the very least, it would come about in answer to a prayer. In other words, this foreigner is telling us that Sarah felt that if this is a bracha from a malach, forget about it. Forget about it. And that's why she laughed. Forget about it. This doesn't make any sense. Right? There's no way. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. A bracha, I don't care if you're giving me a bracha. You, an angel from Hashem, I don't care if you're giving me a bracha. It's not going to happen. Because this is like tchiyas ha Right? For me and my husband to have a child at this age, tchiyas ha impossible, no way. But, she said, oh, but if, but this could come about, and this could happen, through tefillah. 
It is possible, that's what, that's what this foreigner seems to be saying, it is possible if HaKadosh Baruch Hu, either one of two ways, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu directly gets involved himself, Ashkach HaPratis, or through its filah. It's an unbelievable thing. A bracha of a malach can't do it, but tefillah could do it, according to Sarah's opinion. Tefillah could allow a woman who cannot conceive, a woman who is so old, who cannot conceive impossible, to now be able to conceive. Tefillah could do it. And the same thing when it came to Rivka. We read this in this past week's parsha. The Pasuk says, right, in number three on the sheet, the Pasuk says, Vayetar Yitzchak l'Hashem l'Nochach Yishto. Ki akarahi, that Yitzchak pleaded with Hashem, meaning Yitzchak davened, on behalf of his wife because she was barren, because she was an akara. Vayetar lo Hashem v'ata Rivka Yishto. And Hashem responded to his plea, v'ataha Rivka Yishto. And Rivka was able to conceive. Now, if you look at the back of the sheet, Rabbeinu Bachai picks up on a very interesting question. You see, the question is as follows. The Pasuk first said that Yitzchak davin Hashem, right? The Pasuk first said, Vayetar Yitzchak Hashem, Yitzchak davin Hashem, and then said why he davin to Hashem. Ki akarahi, because she was barren, because she was an akara. So Rabbeinu Bachai picks up on this. Listen to what he says. He says, well, again, we'll read in English here. He says, and so great is the power of tefillah, even to change nature, Saved from danger and annul a decree. This is how he's like starting off. He's talking, giving like a whole essay over here that tefillah is so great it could even change nature. Save a person from danger, annul decrees, etc. To change nature, we know from the Pasuk and Yitzchak pleaded to Hashem, our Pasuk. Now he says the Pasuk should have said and Rivka was barren, Rivka was an Akara and Yitzchak pleaded to Hashem because it makes sense to first talk about the reason that the tefillah is coming for. In other words, the, the, the Rebbeinu Bachai is saying the first thing you should tell me is why Yitzchak has a need to daven. What is the problem that is in existence that we need to address? What's that problem? The fact that she's in Akara. The fact that she can't conceive. She's barren. Once we know, okay, that it's impossible for her to conceive, that's the problem. Now, you tell me, okay, that Yitzchak davened on behalf of her so she, so she could conceive. But yet the Pusik doesn't say that. The Pusik goes the other way around. Pusik says, first, that he davened, and then, because she couldn't conceive. Now, in English, it would make sense the way the Pusk is actually written. So that's why it may be a little difficult for us. But, but the Rabbeinu Bachai, in his grip, he says, that's not how the Pusk should be written. So he answers with an unbelievable thing. He says, but it appears to me that this is teaching that the main reason is not the fact that she was barren, but rather the tefillah. The fact that she was barren is only in order for the tefillah to come. And therefore, the Pasuk wanted to first discuss the main point and start with tefillah. Rabbeinu B'chai is teaching us something unbelievable. We always think that, okay, there's the, you know, there's the physical world. There's what's in existence in the world, okay? In this example, it's you have a woman who is not of childbearing age, okay? And she's way past that. So physically, it's impossible for her to have a child. Okay, so that's the natural world. That is, that is how we see the world. Now, if we want to change that, so you would change that based on like it would be a miracle, right? You would need to change that. You would need to change around, excuse me, to completely change around the ways of the world, right? Okay, if a person is terminally ill and the doctors say that there's no chance, there's no hope, okay? So that's, that's the issue at hand. That's how we view the situation, Person can, cannot make it. Okay, but you're going to need a miracle in order to change that. I think Rabbeinu Bachai is saying something different. 
I think Rabbi Yerubachai is saying, no, 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 we have the wrong perspective. The main thing that affects the world, the main thing that affects the world is not the physical state of the world that we see in front of us. That's all a facade. The main thing that affects the world is tefillah, or a lack of tefillah. And therefore, the starting point, the first thing that needed to be mentioned in the Pasuk is the davening, because that's the main... That, that's the main point. That's the whole thing. That's everything. That's the, that, that is what will have an effect on her being able to have a child or not. Not the fact that she can't have a child. That's irrelevant. She's physically unable to have a child. Who cares? Who cares? Tefillah will be able to allow her to have a child or not allow her to have a child. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu just wanted her, to be, wanted her and Yitzhak to be able to daven. And once they daven then HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed her to be able to have a child. There's no, there's no concept of like, oh, she's physically unable to have a child. So what? Tefillah can change that. The main thing, and that's what Rabbi Bachai is teaching us, the main thing, the main focus is tefillah. That is what will have an impact. That is what will have an impact. And the physical world, the physical world is completely irrelevant. It doesn't make a difference. I saw a beautiful story um, about the Ksav Sofer. The Ksav Sofer was the Rav of Pressburg, and he was the, the son of the Ksav Sofer, both amazing gadolim, right? And the Ksav Sofer uh, had a situation in town where there was an individual who was, um, he was, he was thrown into jail. One of the fellows in the shul was thrown into jail on, uh, on a false accusations, totally false accusations, and they threw him in jail and they were going to hang him. And he was trying his best to get him out of jail. And they were doing everything they can. And the night before he was supposed to be hung, so the Ksav Sofer tried everything. And he was davening. And he was davening. And he was davening. And he eventually, he cried himself to sleep. He couldn't, he just, he couldn't, he couldn't do it. He couldn't get him out. The next morning, they're going to hang him. He cried and he cried and he cried. And his bed eventually fell asleep. And he had a dream. And his father, the Ksav Sofer, came to him in a dream. And he said to him, what are you doing sleeping? What are you doing? Why aren't you davening? And the Ksav Sofer said, I davened, I davened, I did everything I could. There's nothing more that I could do. And his father said, what do you mean? There's plenty that you could do. You daven, you daven, and you daven some more. You keep on davening. And he woke up in a cold sweat. He went throughout the town and he woke everybody up in the middle of the night, called everybody to the shul, and they gathered in a minion or whatever, and they started davening and saying to Hillam throughout the night. <coughs> in the morning, miraculously, the judge decided that he's going to reinvestigate the case. And after some time, he let the guy off, and he wasn't hung. There's another story that I saw in the Living Amuna, a more um, contemporary story. I don't know when exactly it happened, but it must not have been too long ago. I think it was in the Living Amuna 5. Amazing Amazing series. If you don't have the Living Amuna books, you have to get them. Rabbi David Ashir writes amazing stuff there. So, his, um, so, so the story had it that there was a woman who was, uh, she was terminally ill and it was getting worse and worse and um, it was getting worse and worse and she, she's, um, she's in the hospital and the doctor said that she had one week left to live. And at that point in time, she asked her 15-year-old daughter to leave the room. And she wanted to daven. And when 
the daughters and the daughter and the nurses came back into the room, they saw that she had the bedsheet over her head and she was like crying, screaming out to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And this is what she said. This is what she said. She said, "My Father in heaven, I beg you, please let me continue living. What gain will there be in my death? Another Kaddish? Another Mishnah? I vow that if you heal me." I will dedicate the rest of my life to helping people learning Torah. And a week later, a week later, when the doctor said that she was supposed to die and there was no hope, and that's it finished, not only was she not dead, but she was discharged from the hospital and the top doctor over there said that in over 30 years of practicing medicine, he had never seen such a miracle, never seen anything like it. And immediately... She went to the, to the local yeshiva and offered her, offered her services as her promise to Hashem that she's, uh, that she's going to help people learning Torah. Miracles happen through tefillah. Miracles happen through tefillah. There's another story that's even more recent that I saw. I don't remember where I saw this, but uh, I think also maybe from him, maybe from Tadrashir, from one of his emails, but um, a story about a guy who all of a sudden, a guy living in America. This, this, hap- this story must have happened within the last 10 years. A guy living in America, all of a sudden he wakes up one day and he has problems in one of his eyes. And things are blurry, he, so he said, okay, you know what? He goes to the ophthalmologist. <coughs> ophthalmologist said, I don't know what's going on, but this seems very serious. You have to go to a top doctor. He sends him to a top doctor. The top doctor says, this is super serious. You're at the risk of losing your eyesight. Um, you're at the risk of losing your eyesight. I'm sorry, this took place in Israel. Right, it took place in Israel. Same idea, right? And he, you're at the risk of losing your eyesight and it's going to spread uh, to, to the other eye. You need to go see a top specialist in America. The top guy in America, you need to go see him. He, he worked hard to get him an appointment. He got him an appointment. The next day, all of a sudden, this guy finds himself on an LL flight, okay, flying to America. And everything, the day before, everything was fine. Two days before. This is crazy. He goes to America. He goes into the top doctor goes for the appointment, they do the tests. He says, yeah, this is terrible. You're at the risk of losing your eyesight. Certainly in this eye, but it's probably gonna to spread to the other eye. We need to do an emergency surgery right away. It's a very sensitive surgery. You may end up losing your eyesight from the surgery, but I think it's worth the risk because either ways you're probably gonna lose your eyesight. It's going back and forth. What should I do? Calls the rabbi, uh, okay. We're going to go through the surgery. He asked the doctor, can I, have, can I have about 30 minutes before the surgery? Can I have 30 minutes to daven? And the doctor said, okay, you can have 30 minutes to daven. He went, there was a shul, maybe a shul in the hospital or whatever it was, a chapel, whatever it was. And he went and he davened. And he poured his heart out to Hashem, poured his heart out for those 30 seconds, for those 30 minutes. And when he came back, he asked the doctors if they could do one more test. If you could just, before he starts the surgery, just check one more time. The doctor checks and he says, I have to apologize to you. It looks like we made a terrible mistake. Your issue is not, is not as serious as we thought it was. I do have to do surgery, but it's a routine surgery. It's not nearly as sensitive as we were talking about. And you'll be out of here today. Everything's fine. They did the surgery. He was out of there in an hour. Went back home. Everything was fine. This happened. This must have happened in the last 10 years. 
Could it be that all the doctors along the way made some mistake? I don't know. But it sounds like, it sounds pretty miraculous. The koach of tefillah, the koach of tefillah is unbelievable. And the, the Rabbeinu Bachai is telling us, the, uh, our imahos are telling us that every single person has the ability, every single person has the ability to, um, to be able to change, to be able to change nature, could literally change nature, literally change nature. And certainly when it comes to a woman's tefillah, when it comes to a woman's tefillah, the rachmanas, when you, pie, when you tack on the rachmanas and you put it in there, it's unbelievable. There's one last point. There's one last point. The Pasuk tells us by Chana. We know that Chana was the, you know, was the person who we learn, we learn so much about tefillah from her, from her tefillah, how she davened, she couldn't have a child. Once again, another barren woman couldn't have a child. She davened at Kodesh Baruch Hu, and ultimately Shmuel was born. But there's a Pasuk that says, the Pasuk tells us, Vatispalel al Hashem tivke, that she davened in her, sorry, Vihimaras Nefesh, Vatispalel Hashem, that she was bitter, and in her bitterness, she davened al Hashem, on Hashem, while she was crying. And I saw Rabbi Nissel in his uh, beautiful book, uh, Rig, what's it called? Rigshay Lev. He brings down, I was trying to look to find it in the Nefesh HaChaim, I couldn't find it, but he, he's, he's quoting a Nefesh HaChaim who says that, what, what does it mean that she davened on Hashem? What does that mean? Al Hashem, on Hashem. means that she channeled her tefillah towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. She did a little trick. She said that she knew that her tefillah could be more effective. It would be more effective if she tells Hashem that she's going to dedicate this child when this child is born, if this child is going to be born, she's going to dedicate that child towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That generation that she lived in, they, the generation that she lived in needed... <laughs> so cute. <laughs> the, the generation that she lived in, they were so low spiritually and they needed somebody great. So she davened to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, give me a child and I'm, I want a child that's going to serve you. HaKadosh Baruch, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I want a child that's going to be your guy. He's, this child's going to be your guy. He's going to lead Kal Yisrael. He's going to be a person that brings Kal Yisrael back. And in turn, I don't know if it was fully in that schus, Partially in that schluss, I don't know exactly, but the bottom line is Shmuel HaNavi was born. And it teaches us an, an amazing thing, that when a person takes all that kavana and all that rachmanas and throws it on HaKadosh Baruch Hu and tells HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem, I, I, I want to daven for whatever my needs are and I want to utilize those needs for you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I'm utilizing them for you. I want to utilize them for you. I want to be able to channel those needs towards you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Same way that Chana said, I want this child to be dedicated to you. I want him to be somebody who leads Kal Yisrael, brings them back to you. So too, when it comes to our tefillahs, to be able to tell HaKadosh Baruch Hu that, that the thing that I'm asking for, I only want it because I, I only want it because I want to be able to serve you. If we're asking for Parnassah, Kodesh Baruch why do I need Parnassah? Why do I want Parnassah? I want Parnassah so that I could be able to live a Torah lifestyle, to be able to send my kids to yeshiva so that they can learn, to be able to, to accomplish more as far as my ruchni is. Right? That's why I need Parnassah. Why do I want to be healthy? So that I could connect to you, HaKadosh Baruch more, so that I could help my children connect to you, HaKadosh Baruch The tefillah is so much more powerful 
And it's not a game. It's not a game. We really mean it. We really do mean it. But it's just like reminding ourselves of that and telling that to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the tefillah becomes so much more powerful. So much more powerful. Um, and every single person, every single person has this ability. Every single person has the ability to tap into this in tefillah. Um, I saw, and we'll, 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 we'll end off with this, uh, we'll leave off the Masil Shisharim, but we'll end off with this story over here. Um, I saw a beautiful story that in 1991, so in the Panovich Yeshiva in Bnei Brak, they were, they had so many guys learning there and so many people would come to Avon there that the, the numbers, it was too big and they couldn't, for the Yomim Narayim, they couldn't hold all the people in the building. So for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, they came to Rav Shach, the Rosh Hashiva, the God of Hazar, and they asked him, they said, maybe we should re- reconfigure the base Medrash in a way that we kind of, you know, take out some of the Ezra's Nushin and reset it up that there, this way there's more space for everybody for this, you know, so take out some of the seats in the Ezra's Nushin, move the, uh, move the divider back a little bit, and this way there's more space. And when that suggestion was brought to him, he said the following. Listen to this. This is what Rav Shach said. He said, let's carefully consider who it is that we're talking about over here. The women's section is made up of many women who come here with very special tefillahs. They pour their hearts out with supplication towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Their prayers emanate from a very deep place and they are saturated in tears. Rav Shach continued, their prayers have the strength to break through even the locked gates of heaven. Therefore, we must understand that our entire yeshiva rests on the prayers of these women. So how can we possibly allow for a situation where even one less woman is going to attend the davening on the Yom Narayim? And the bottom line is Rav Shach didn't allow for even one chair to be removed from the Ezra's Nashim. And as far as the other sections, you guys figure it out. <laughs> so what's the bottom line? What's the bottom line? That I think we, we see a few things over here that obviously the Koach of Tefillah itself, whether a man, whether it be a woman, the Koach of Tefillah is unbelievable. The Koach of Tefillah can change nature, as Rabbeinu Bachai told us. The Imos tell us this. It, it's not... We have the wrong perspective when we view it that there's a circumstance in life and we, we almost like we need tefillah to change it, so to speak. No, Rabbeinu Bachai is saying it's the other way around. The tefillah is what has the effect. That's it. That's it. The tefillah or the lack of tefillah. That's what has the effect on nature. And it's so much more, so much more, so much more when it comes to, when it comes to a woman's tefillah because of Chulda Hanaviyah. Women have this koach, this natural mercy, this natural rachmanus that's built into the teva, that's hardwired within. And in turn, the tefillah has the ability to be greater, even greater. Chulda's tefillah was more powerful potentially than Yirmiya's because it's hardwired within. And therefore, the kavana could be greater. And in turn, if the kavana is greater, so then... The, uh, in turn, if the kavana is greater, then it has a much, you know, it has a more potent ability to uh, to be able to affect. So, Bez Hashem, this should be hopefully a uh, you know a source of chizuk for all of us when it comes to when it comes to tefillah. Drop more kavana 
a drop more Rahmanas putting it in where the, where it's naturally there anyway could uh, could really go a long way. Any questions? Any points? Okay, okay. But that's it. That's the main point. Uh, excellent question. They don't need to say they're davening, but they 